When the COVID-19 pandemic began and strict lockdowns were put into place across Australia, your main health concern was probably fear of catching this new, highly contagious, potentially lethal virus. We changed the way we lived our lives to avoid it. No more handshakes, far more frequent hand washing, staying home as much as possible. Medical professionals were, for the most part, focused on preventing the spread of COVID as well. But there were also concerns on another front. Some practitioners found they were seeing fewer patients and suspected people were avoiding going to the doctor out of fear of exposing themselves to the virus. These suspicions are borne out by some of the data. The Cancer Council saw breast cancer reports drop 37% in Victoria during April and May this year. It's incredibly unlikely this was a natural decrease in breast cancer. It's far more probable that people are avoiding going for a checkup, afraid to go out and potentially expose themselves to COVID, even when they have other serious health concerns. So how can people be encouraged to go to the doctor, even when government health messaging is telling them to stay at home as much as possible? One solution has been around for a long time. Telehealth lets patients access their doctors from home, over the phone or internet. I'm Caitlin McHugh, and today on Think Digital Futures, we're diving into the potential benefits and pitfalls of telehealth, and why it's taken a global pandemic for the Australian government to get behind it. Today, uh, $2.4 billion is being committed to support the health and well-being of Australians. Just under $1.2 billion of that will actually, uh, we anticipate, be spent this financial year as the virus and its impacts ramp up in the months ahead. Towards the end of March this year, Prime Minister Scott Morrison unveiled a Medicare Support at Home initiative, which expanded the Medicare benefits schedule to include more types of telehealth, introducing Medicare rebates for over-the-phone consults, and making bulk billing for telehealth consults mandatory for patients at greater risk from COVID-19. So how is telehealth different from face-to-face doctor's visits? Normally, I would go into the waiting room and call somebody in. I watch them get up, respond to me. We have some sort of social interaction as we walk to my consulting room and I watch them as they take a seat and we sort of have a bit of chit-chat. This is Dr Charlotte Hesby, Chair of the New South Wales ACT Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. Her clinic has seen an increase in telehealth consults since the COVID epidemic began. In a telephone or a um, a video conference, I don't get any of that. You're just sort of straight in there. And so I don't get any of those visual cues during that whole of that telephone call. But despite the lack of face-to-face interaction, Charlotte says for many of her patients, telehealth is just as good as an in-person consult and often makes more sense. For instance, a lot of my patients who've got cancer, a lot of the follow-up convers- you know, consultations that they might do with their cancer team they're all just conversations, okay? So they're not actually needing a test or they're not needing an examination, but they can actually have three or four conversations with members of their cancer care team 
without actually having to leave home now and without sitting around waiting in a hospital um, where they're exposed to, you know, all the things that hospitals expose us to. It's a big time saver for everybody. And as I said, there's an element of it being safer because you don't have to go into the hospital setting for follow-up. There are a few different options for patients when booking a telehealth consult. In the Australian context for Medicare, that's either via telephone or via a video conferencing type platform. One of the big changes to telehealth has been the government allowing doctors to bill for phone consults. Previously, only video consults were billable. This is in part due to a lack of evidence that phone consults are as good as in-person or video consults. Charlotte says they aren't, but they're certainly better than patients missing out on care altogether. I would say that I don't think that they can deliver the same level of care. Having said that, you know, we're not talking a huge amount of of that being the issue. Through telephone, both patients and doctors are very comfortable with using phones. I mean, we've used them for years and years and years and years. We do a large amount of our sort of follow-up and chasing of people via telephone, so people are very comfortable with that. So I don't have any problem about that level of quality and safety. It's more about when you sort of start getting into the nitty-gritty of long-term management of chronic diseases, maybe acute assessment of certain things, that really the visual cues really do add value and obviously the face-to-face adds even more value. So it's about, I think, making a judgment call to say that the, the benefit of increasing access outweighed the disadvantage of maybe decreased level of quality and and to to say that doctors by and large are able to make that captain's call at the time of the phone call to say actually I need to see you to assess this properly or you need to go into hospital now to be properly assessed. So it's sort of saying, okay, it's not as good for the entirety of it, but we can use it as that first point of contact and then say you need to have more in order for us to properly assess it. So who should be accessing telehealth and who should be seeing their doctor in person? There are a few obvious cases where a phone or video call isn't going to cut it. What it's not good for is anything where we do need that face-to-face ability to examine something. So, I mean, obviously, if we're talking about women's health and pap smears, I can't do a pap smear over a video or telephone consultation. I need you in the same room as me. But many consults only require a conversation, not a physical checkup. Patients managing chronic conditions like diabetes or heart problems don't always need to go to the doctor's office every time they need a consult. For all patients who've got chronic conditions, and that might be lung disease, cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, they're constantly being engaged with the healthcare system. This is Sally Inglis, an associate professor in the Faculty of Health at the University of Technology, Sydney. And I think, you know, there are some interactions with the healthcare system that we could deliver more remotely to remove the need for some of these patients where mobility perhaps is an issue and, of course, people who are in rural and remote areas. Sally's research focuses on heart disease and telehealth. And right now she's conducting a survey of heart health specialists and their experiences with telehealth. She says the people who will benefit most from this rapid telehealth expansion are those outside of our major cities. 
for all of us that live in Sydney, we're very fortunate because we have a lot of the services, you know, within a short distance from our home and our work. But, you know, we have to remember that, you know, there's a large number of Australians who just don't have the luxury of that purely by where they live and where services are based, particularly specialist services. Um, so I think the benefit of telehealth overall really is going to be for people who don't have physical access to face-to-face services, but through telehealth or digital health and doing delivering healthcare remotely, we can actually increase um, the access of these specialist services to people who ordinarily might have to travel, you know, three, five, eight hours drive to come into the city, be it Sydney or anywhere else around Australia, to access these specialist services. Telehealth obviously isn't entirely new. In the case of cardiovascular health, Sally says remote checkups have been pretty standard for patients with heart failure, for example that's really where my research began is using looking at telemonitoring um, for people with heart failure, which is where on almost a daily basis at home, these patients assess their own physical well-being through things like weight, their respiratory function, their blood pressure, their heart rate, and they communicate that information back to their clinicians. And the clinicians can review that data and say, okay, you're going okay, it's fine, keep going as you are. Or if there's something that looks like perhaps they need a change in their medication or they need to be seen by a clinician, then they'll receive that message and be told to either come into hospital to go see their GP or a nurse will ring them and say, we've organised for a new prescription of medication for you. But what about patients less comfortable with technology? A phone call isn't as clinically valuable as a video, but not all patients are comfortable or necessarily capable with the technology. The experience in my surgery is if you ask someone, would you like the telephone or the video, they would say telephone. We're comfortable with it because that's what we've done for a long time. Any change, and we've been in huge disruption and change, is hard. So I'm offering you more change or something that's a bit more familiar. Both are going to go for the more familiar. But sometimes all you need to do is give your patient the option. I'll ring them and I'll say, I'm just going to send you a link for the video. Would you like to give it a try? And most of most people, about 90% at that point will say, yeah, sure, I'll give it a try. And then at the end of it go, oh, that was really easy and that was, that was good. Uh, it was really nice to see you. Um, and so that's, you know, and that then adds that bit again, you know, it's that whole social connectedness. And while there's a general assumption that older people are less confident with technology, that isn't always the case, says Sally. Certainly back 10 or 15 years ago, there was a really strong argument for typically older people are not going to want to use technology. That argument's really been removed nowadays. If we think about, you know, most people who are older now who have grandchildren, for example, are using video calling quite frequently, particularly in this current setting, you know, to keep in contact with family members. So telehealth is massively beneficial for some patients if you need a quick referral or just a verbal check-in. But both Sally and Charlotte emphasise that in all cases, a patient needs to be able to visit their GP in person, and telehealth consults, as a general rule, should be with a doctor who knows you. So we want to see that, you know, telehealth is being used by patients and by clinicians who already have a pre-existing 
relationship as a clinician and patient. So I think that's really important that, you know, there is still that face-to-face component there, particularly for patients with complex chronic disease such as cardiovascular disease. These are not, you know, simple um, clinical issues to sort out. These patients need a lot of support and they need really a lot of insightful clinical review. And so face-to-face services and assessment is still really important. When the government brought in the Medicare changes that made telehealth more accessible, they specified this. But Charlotte says she's concerned that telehealth service providers aren't always following these rules. There's these what I would call predatory sort of health companies. So what they're doing is that they, they the, you come in for your script and they give you a little number and they say, use this platform to get your next script. All right, and it's just a telehealth platform with a doctor who knows where they are. You don't know them, they don't know you. For instance, you get prescribed an antibiotic for something on one of these platforms. You ring in and say, I've got you know, symptoms of something, I need an antibiotic. The, the platform says, fine, but in fact, you're allergic to it. But they don't know that because they don't look after you usually and you've forgotten. A University of Queensland study found that since the pandemic began, telehealth consults have led to 7 million patients accessing their healthcare remotely rather than in person. The study authors say these socially distanced consults represent 7 million fewer chances for patients to expose themselves or others to coronavirus. Apart from these health advantages, another big benefit is simply convenience. Telehealth was a yeah, really good option because it had a lot of flexibility. So at least with my psych, um, psychologist, she had an option for both over the phone and over Zoom. So you can choose to have that face-to-face or just voice call. This is Sophia, who started seeing her psychologist remotely just after the pandemic hit. To get her referral, she attended a GP appointment over the phone and says it was incredibly convenient. Telehealth for a simple GP referral is so much easier. Like you don't have to sit in the waiting room. Um, you don't have to wait <laughs> for all that extra time. They just call you. So yeah. you book up an appointment and they, at least this is what happened with me. And obviously each each place might be a bit different, but um, they just called me at the time that I said I'd be free. And it was so brief, so easy. Um, and I think having that telehealth option definitely for GPs should be an ongoing option. She's planning to go back to in-person sessions, but she likes knowing she can just phone up if she needs to. Having that flexibility is perfect if I have a busy day or something like that, or um, yeah, if if someone needs something um, uh, more acutely, I can imagine that would be really beneficial as well. Sophia has mixed feelings about some aspects of her online appointments. They're more convenient, but using your own home for therapy appointments has its downfalls. For me, I think it's the biggest issue is having um, a safe space or a comfortable space at home to talk about it. So if you have housemates, I feel that um, I've had to time my kind of appointments carefully. And just it doesn't even matter if someone else hears. It's more just um, feeling comfortable, feeling comfortable to be able to talk about that sort of stuff. And um, because, you know, you're inherently vulnerable when you're in sort of most um, doctor situations. So it's just about... Um, what is most comfortable and what environment you're in. For Sophia, online sessions made privacy a little more difficult to manage. But Charlotte says for some patients in abusive situations, talking to their GP on the phone can actually be safer. So if I think of some of my patients, them going, actually making an appointment and going and seeing a doctor in a surgery can be far more um, uh, provocative in terms of some of the issues in that relationship. Whereas having a phone call with a 
friend or a, you know somebody is is more allowed and doesn't provoke the same reactions so and they may be able to go and you know do it in the garden without being noticed or you do, do not step outside so there's there's an element of it could be um, unsafe but it also could be a lot safer clearly there are many benefits to telehealth and while there are some concerns around quality of care both Charlotte and Sally agree it should keep expanding and improving. We have to have to look at, you know, within this pandemic of some of the positives that might come out of it. I think we have been wanting to see telehealth um, more accessible for patients and for clinicians for some time. So it's good to see that we've got to that. I think it's really important that we do stop and think about how do we want to utilise telehealth as part of our sustainable long-term healthcare system Um, and really making sure that we're basing that on the experiences and the views of patients because they're fundamentally, if they don't want to use it, if they don't want to engage with it, then, you know, that it's it's sort of useless. But also that we're also considering the needs of clinicians. Clinicians are busy. They've got huge workloads. We need to make sure that the system works efficiently, um, but it's also evidence-based and it's safe and it's secure and it provides that continuity of care. But the technology for this has been around for a long time. What took it so long to develop and why now? There's a common refrain from health professionals. We needed a pandemic to do it, yes. Um, This was not going to happen for at least 10 to 20 years if this hadn't happened. Charlotte says there was concern from the government that costs could blow out if telehealth was more accessible. It's a bit like anything. Um, You know, if it's easier to do, then people will do it more. That's what their fear is. And then we've got this sort of escalating um, access of healthcare, which by and large is not what we've seen happen at all um, and is an unrealistic cost. But from my perspective, if we start to actually do this with, with some of the other changes that really need to happen with our whole model of care, then I think that we're actually going to end up with a much more sort of cost efficient but patient-centred model of care that is better in the long term. It's possibly true. If you give people easier access to healthcare, they're going to use it. But when circumstances made telehealth the safest option for many vulnerable patients, the government was forced to expand the availability of telehealth. It's progress that wouldn't have happened otherwise. We've been campaigning for more than 10 years to get telehealth. We wouldn't have gotten it if it wasn't for COVID. And um, the Minister, Greg Hunt, said that to us at an RACGP board meeting just two weeks ago, that he achieved in 10 days what he had not expected to achieve for another 10 years in getting telehealth through. This expanded telehealth is likely here to stay during the pandemic and beyond. The convenience for clinicians and patients and expanded access for rural and disabled Australians are benefits the government can no longer ignore. But Sally says we can't just rush headlong into telehealth expansion. Healthcare workers, researchers and the government need to make sure these changes work for everyone. It has been good to see that there has been an embracing of telehealth and, and remotely delivered healthcare to patients during this period of time. And I guess that's probably perhaps one of the positives to come out of this difficult period that we're all going through at the moment. Um, and I think the challenge now, particularly looking, you know, for my research is, you know, stopping and reflecting and saying, OK, if we, you know, there are some really good things that have come out of this. Telehealth is one of them. But how do we tailor it? How do we make it sustainable? And how do we make sure that 
that it remains evidence-based so that the healthcare that we're delivering to patients, you know, we have, we know that it's working. We know that we're not compromising their health through changing the delivery of that healthcare. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio and the University of Technology, Sydney. Think Digital Futures is made in Sydney on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can hear more of Think Digital Futures at 2SER.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Caitlin McHugh. Thanks for listening.